When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. took in the clothes. Nobody said very much. Just some old wild shirts and a couple of pairs of pants, which nobody really wanted to touch. Mama came in and picked up a book, and Papa asked her where it was. Someone else asked, what do you care? Papa said, well, just because. Then they started to take back their clothes, hang them on the line. It was January the 30th, and everybody was feeling fine. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me this week is a teacher and writer and big Bob fan, of course, William McKean. Hi, William. Welcome to the show. Hi, freewheeling Rob. <laughs> Just Rob is fine. Oh. Uh, thank, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Of course, this is your first time on the show. And so before we get to the song in question, which is, of course, Clothesline Saga from The Basement Tapes, which amazingly is only the second Basement Tapes song we have ever gotten to on the show. The last one I did was way back in episode 11, where uh, me and my pal Daniel Budnick uh, talked about You Ain't Going Nowhere. Oh. Uh, yeah, for some reason, The Basement Tapes just doesn't get requested all that much when I, when I ask guests about what songs they want to talk about. But before we get to the song, I have to ask you, of course, how how did you become a fan of Bob? Uh, I'm just a, I'm old, but I'm a little too young to have caught him the first time through. So the first Dylan album I bought new was uh, Nashville Skyline. I was in high school and, and I had uh, I was aware of who Bob Dylan was because I had a big sister. And, you know, through her, I learned about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and everything. But uh, uh, I heard Nashville Skyline and I was just mesmerized by that album, just the sound of it. I tried to analyze, you know, what are these instruments I'm hearing? Because I'd, I'd never really listened to anything like that before. I was still fairly new to buying records. And then I immediately went out and got Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, and I thought, is this the same singer? <laughs> it didn't sound like the same guy. And uh, fairly soon I got, uh, I, I really got uh, involved in, in Dylan. Uh, unfortunately, the next album that came out was... Uh, self-portrait that that baffled me and you know i tended to agree at the time with the uh uh the real marcus you know what is this review and then uh it was amazing when the the bootleg series on on self-portrait came out and it was such a great album Mm -hmm. but i I gradually became really steeped in bob and and saw him uh on his tour with the band in 1974 so then uh you know i really really got involved with with uh, dylan and uh, somebody asked me to write a book on on him, and I thought, well, that's a challenge. And uh, I had done a similar book. It's in a semi-scholarly book series. I'd done a similar book on the Beatles, and I was kind of beetled out. But then when I did this thing on, on Dylan and I became really obsessive with him, and this is in the 1990s, uh, I've, I found that the more I listened, the more I heard. And I've just – I, I can't say – I love every album he's done because I'll, you know, I, I tell, I teach rock and roll history. I tell my students by all means avoid the Dylan and the Dead album. Go ahead and get the bootlegs of the rehearsals. <laughs> do not 
getting down in the groove, you know, and, and knocked out loaded may have its issues, but it has Brownsville girls. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I can see when he doesn't live up to, you know, being Bob Dylan, but to me, a, a mediocre Bob Dylan is uh, Bob Dylan album is still better than most other people's uh, right, right. work. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. Big fan and uh, have been ever since I think uh, uh, Nashville Skyline. All right. Well, I have I have three questions to ask you from that. First of all, uh, what was what was it like seeing him on that 1974 tour? I mean, that's a that was a legendary tour. I, that's amazing. You got to see that. Was it a good show? Oh wow! I mean, I just uh, I still think about that concert. Um, it was on February 3rd, 1974, the 15th anniversary of Buddy Holly's death. I took some kind of mojo out of that, and the. You were too. You weren't even born. But to get the tickets, you had to go into a mail order lottery kind of thing. So I ended up with four for the show in Bloomington, Indiana, which happens to be my hometown. It's where Indiana University is. And uh, tried to go to St. Louis and kidnap a buddy and bring him back for the concert, but he couldn't leave. So we ended up selling a ticket at face value, uh, that outrageous price of nine ninety five, inside the venue. But I went with uh, two. Uh, two female friends of mine, one of whom almost balked at the last minute. She said, you know, Bob Dylan is a personal thing to me. I cannot go into this arena with, you know, 20,000 other people and share him. And I thought, wow, are you nuts? Yes, you're going to go. So we went. And uh, of course they opened up with uh, most likely you'll go your way and I'll go mine. And it was like standing next to an airplane when it took off. (laughs) I always thought it was the most powerful sound I'd ever heard. And I still think, you know, looking back, I'm not sure that that was like the greatest performance that I've ever seen him give. I've seen him on many other occasions. But um, I, I just uh, I was just overwhelmed by it at the time. I mean, he was kind of shouting the songs. Sure. Right. Right. All that. But but, you know, for that time and that place, it was kind of perfect. You know, later on, his the shows I saw were, you know, much more subtle and, and delicate and elegant even. That's amazing. Wow. And by the way, just to correct, I was alive in 19, February 1974. Not not by much, but I was. Uh, I would have been too young to go to the show. Um, that's amazing because, I mean, it, to, to a Dylan fan who was too young to have seen that show, like that's such a piece of his history. And so for you have to been there is a pretty, uh, that's just, that's just an amazing thing. I would have loved to have been to one of those shows. I certainly have before the flood and I've heard other things. So, okay. That's, that's one question. My, I'd seen the band a few times too. And I was just as, I was really steeped in the band. So, okay. Oh, perfect. Well then you get everything you like that. Yeah. Um, my second question is what is the name of that book that you wrote? We, people need to know about that. What's the, what's the book? Uh, that's a kind of a, like I said, a semi-scholarly book called Bob Dylan, a bio bibliography. <laughs> And it only goes up through uh, Good As I've Been to You. But I did a later book where my uh, oldest son and I followed Highway 61 from where the highway starts in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And all the way, we drove all the way down to where it ends in, in the French Quarter. And so we took a few side trips. It obviously goes right through Hibbing, I mean, right through uh, Duluth. But we took a few side trips, uh, including Hibbing. Uh, there was a, a really wonderful, I don't know if you talked about it on the show, a really wonderful sports bar there called Zimmy's and the only sport they they care about is Bob Dylan because it's 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 like a sports bar but all the posters are concert posters and you know ephemera his mother had gone there and said it's so nice you're finally doing something for my son in his hometown 
Oh my god! I want to go to there to quote Liz Lemon. That sounds fantastic. Oh, I've never heard of such a place. Oh, they she gave them baby pictures that they blew. Oh my god! <laughs> and it it was great, and the food was good. Everything was uh, had a name like you know tangled up in ribs. Of course. Uh, but the the people the thing was the people were real fans, and and they it was just a, you know they're trying to figure out how to honor him there. They have the Dylan Days Festival. Right. And I, I think Zimmy's uh, went out of business two years ago, though. Oh, no. Oh, son of a bitch. Exactly. <laughs> I would have I been booking my plane ticket right now. All right. Oh, are these books available on Amazon, or where can people get them? Uh, yeah, you can you can buy uh, uh, Highway 61 on Amazon. The other one, uh, like I said, it's sort of outdated by now. Uh, I've never wanted to go back. To, you know, I've tried to do books that, that write books that make money. So the semi-scholarly ones, I just, you know, I'm not interested so much in updating those. Okay, got it. Well, very cool. I mean, as I said, everybody go and check that out. That sounds fantastic. That sounds really cool. And then the third question I have to ask, you said you teach music history. I mean, like, to, to students, do they know of Bob Dylan at all? Do they care? I mean, what is their interaction with him as a cultural figure? Well, uh, they certainly leave the class uh, with an awareness that, you know, Bob Dylan is probably one of the two or three most important people in the history of popular music uh, in the last 70 years. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time on Dylan in the class, as we do with, you know, Elvis and the Beatles and, you know, to, you name them. I, I do as much as I can to get the, the major artists of that, that period into the class. But, uh, you know, the, we, we sort of start the section when rock and roll is beginning by saying, you know, it's a time to honor the debt that we owe, uh, you know, Robert Johnson and Charlie Patton and Lonnie Johnson and all those other people. And, you know, that's when, you know, we have the lights out and we play Blind Willie McTell. So they, they get Dylan even in the non-Dylan lectures. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I try to, to work him in everywhere because, uh, and, you know, that, that wascally wabbit Bruce Springsteen said it so well. He said, uh, Elvis freed your mind the way, uh, Bob freed your mind the way Elvis freed your body. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, those those two artists, you know, are, are so important. Uh, and even, you know, McCartney and all these other pop stars, they all said, you know, we were all competing with each other. But it was to Dylan that we looked. We, were, we wanted his approval. So he was kind of the arbiter of all things cool and significant uh, in that great fertile period. Well, that is fantastic. That is that is great. I'm glad to hear that. You're somebody's out there. Teaching young kids about, uh, you know, and this guy's still out there. You know what I mean? It's not like he's long gone. He's still available. You can go out and see him. That's that's really cool. I love hearing all that stuff. That's fantastic. Well, one time when I went to see him in, the, I think, the, the late 90s, uh, I don't bore you with a long story about that show, but I was with uh, my date who was, you know, many years younger than me. And uh, about the third song, she just reached over and grabbed my arm and said, I'm in the same room with Bob Dylan. It <laughs> hits you. I always say it's like waking up and you look out in the backyard and all of a sudden Mount Rushmore is there. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're so lucky that, that he's still performing and that we can still go see him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He's still absolutely. active as an artist. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's fantastic. So, well, all right. So let's talk about the Clothesline Saga, which, of course, was one of the, the Basement Tapes uh, songs. I mean, th- for many years... 
Uh, I had no idea what the hell this was song was about. I, I mean, just was completely like, okay, I, whatever. I mean, clearly it's like this little fun, funny little story. I had known of the history that it was originally titled Answer to Ode in, in that it was a response, quote unquote, to Bobby Gentry's Ode to Billy Joe, which was a big, big hit in 1967. And some people have suggested it's it's a parody, but and then other people said, no, it's not so much a parody. It's just sort of inspired by that song. And it was something Bob was hearing on the on the radio. And it is just a funny little story sung in Bob's kind of best half-stoned kind of slow preacher voice. I mean, I, I quoted the, uh, the first verse, and then the second verse goes on. It says, the next day everybody got up. Seeing if the clothes were dry, the dogs were barking, a neighbor passed. Malma, of course, she said hi. Have you heard the news? He said with a grin. The vice president's gone mad. Where? Downtown. When? Last night. Hmm, say, that's too bad. Well, there's nothing we can do about it, said the neighbor. It's just something we're going to have to forget. Yeah, I guess so, said Ma. Then she asked me if the clothes were still wet. So why did you want to talk about this song? It's because I, uh, I, I don't think people uh, think of Bob Dylan as funny as much as I do. I, I think he's hilarious. Uh, I remember this uh, press conference some years ago where people said, uh, how did you find the audiences in Europe after this tour? He says, well, in Germany, I had German audiences and French. I had French audiences. <laughs> I just think he's got a great sense of humor. And um, I've, you know, I have seven kids. And so over the years, I've tried to introduce them all to, to Bob Dylan. And for me, the great gateway drug has always been uh, the basement takes. Hmm. There's some really great, masterful, almost tragic songs on it. I mean, I was listening today uh, to Tears of Rage, and I, I, I just, I'm, I'm not in a position to listen to that right now. It's so emotionally draining. And you've got This Wheel's on Fire, and you've got I Shall Be Released, all these really beautiful songs. And then you've got the goofy stuff. Right, <laughs> right. I remember when my oldest daughter was kind of young, we were listening to Please, Mrs. Henry, and she heard that line, uh, help me, dear lady, or, you, or I'll fill up your shoe. And she said, Dad, is he saying he's going to pee in her shoe? And I said, I think so. <laughs> so. There's that and Tiny Montgomery and Clothesline Saga. And even, you know, uh, uh, you, you talked about <laughs> the opening track of the bird song. Oh, you ain't going nowhere. You ain't going nowhere. And I don't know which version. It may be the greatest hits volume two version where he says Genghis Khan and his brother Don. Right. So there's just, it's just a lot of whimsy in there. And so I've always liked Clothesline Saga because to me, he's just, he decided, uh, and, and, you know, maybe I'm projecting too much into this, but my, my vision of the basement tapes and listening to what Robbie Robertson said, listening to what Robbie Robertson said about it was like, Bob would drive over and they'd all get stoned. Right. And uh, they'd just reel these things off. So he was probably driving over, heard Ode to Billy Joe, and he thought, I'm going to write a song that just revels in the beauty of boredom. I'm going to write a song about a lunchtime conversation in which nobody's dying. And, you know, we're just talking about laundry. I'm going to write a song about laundry, as a matter of fact. And you know, <laughs> kind of imagine all these things going on. Who's ever written a song about laundry? And by the way, what the hell did they wash that takes so long? To, it takes two days to dry. <laughs> They're hanging out the laundry on January 30th. Where are they? You know, who, do, who hangs out their laundry that, that time of year? Even in the, the South, where I spent most of my life, even in the South, it's kind of kind of cold on January 30th. So there's just a lot of uh, humor and weirdness in that song. And it's just always 
I've always enjoyed it. I, lo I love the way he sings it because it shows that, you know, when he was in control of the script, he was a really good actor because he's kind of going back and forth and playing these different roles. And, you know, he says, oh, well, that's too bad. You know, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And, you know, he's, he's obviously, uh, you know, perhaps not high as a kite, but, you know, high as the second story, at least. Right. Uh, I mean, he. we get no sense of scene setting here. I mean, the the opening line is, after a while, we took in the clothes. I mean, immediately, we have no idea where we are. No sense of what's going on other than uh, we're in presumably some rural town, because we're talking about, again, hanging out the clothes, and they mentioned downtown. Uh, the, the third verse, which is the final verse, I reached up, I touched my shirt, and the neighbor said, are those clothes yours? I said, some of them, not all of them. He said, you always help around, uh, help out around here with the chores. Tough to say. I said sometimes, not all the time. Then my neighbor he blew his nose. Just as Poppy yelled outside, "Mama wants you to come in back in the house and bring them clothes." Well, I just do what I'm told, so I did it. Of course, I went back in the house and Mama met me, and then I shut all the doors. So nothing really much happens in this song, other than this stranger comes up and talks to the person hanging the clothes. And then they have this brief conversation about the vice president having gone mad. And then the person goes back inside and that's the end of the song. And then you know, I did a little reading on it and, and um, I, some interpretations of it about how it's, it's at least in these people's views, like it meant to be a celebration of simple rural life about how disconnected uh, your life can be from greater events because I mean again in the second verse have you heard the news the vice president's gone mad where downtown last night well that's too bad and that's it and there's nothing we can do about it it's just gonna have something we're gonna have to forget it's just so these people are just living their lives and they're not really connected to the larger world and that seems like a certainly useful interpretation to me and then when I think about that and then I read you know, think about the title, the clothesline saga, which of course gives this song, which very little happens, this grandiose notion. I mean, you call something a saga. There's the Star Wars saga, the Godfather saga, and yet this is not a saga at all. This is just the smallest possible story. So again, you talk about Bob being funny, and he is very funny a lot of the time. This is him being as sort of poker face as he can be, because of course nothing much happens here, and yet the title suggests some big epic that we're about to listen to. I just thought he, he looked at it as a, a fun little problem. I'm going to write a song about something stupid. And right. we'll bet that, you know, apparently he only did one take of it, or they only recorded one take. And you're right, it does, instead of, uh, you know, I don't really see it as a parody at all of, of uh, Ode to Billy Joe. Right, right. Suggested by that. But she sets the scene, you know, in a classic once upon a time fashion. It was the 3rd of June, a such and such kind of day. And he just starts uh, in media rest. He's in the middle of things. After a while, we took in the clothes. And so in a way, he's a he's a much more economical storyteller than she is. It's just that I'm not really sure what the story is he's telling. I think he's just having fun. Uh, but uh, I, I just love the, the language he uses. I love the light tone. And I, I put it with all those the goofy basement tape songs. That's. That would be like a whole uh, a whole mixtape uh, of our own we could make of you know goofy songs that that he's done you know even oh. Froggy went a courting or right you know, <laughs> right right yeah yeah I mean you have to remember that when Bob did these songs with the band he did not as far as we understood have any real intention of these ever getting out now we do know that. Uh, not every basement tape song was recorded. Some stuff was purposely not recorded. So obviously the stuff that was recorded 
somewhere in the back of his mind, he figured might have some use down the line. I mean, these songs were pretty quickly disseminated among his friends, his music friends. I mean, a lot of the, the some of the songs, uh, cover versions of the songs got were released pretty quickly. Right. Uh, and I mean, of course, you know, the, the Manford Man had a huge hit with uh, the Mighty Quinn, which is a basement tape. And so, I mean, obviously, any any time that someone as successful as Bob Dylan starts writing songs, he knows they have some level of commercial value, uh, no matter how much he might think these are never meant to be heard. Uh, you know, he also knew, you know, okay, somewhere these these have some value, and so he was bothering to record them uh, in some in some manner. They may have been recorded, um, you know, maybe not under the greatest circumstances in terms of the quality of the recordings, but nevertheless, they were meant to be archived. And so uh, when he wrote this, this may have just been a kind of toss off was that he heard that song on the radio and thought, oh, yeah, as you said, I can write a song about laundry. Bang, let's do it. Uh, But obviously he thought it was worthwhile enough to include it on the basement tapes, because eventually when all this stuff got put out in 1975, they had to perm uh, just about a dozen songs from the hundreds they had recorded. And this one made the cut. Yeah, I had uh, a Great White Wonder and a Trouble Troubadour, which are some of the major bootlegs that came out of these sessions. I don't remember ever hearing it on any of those. And I may be wrong, but I, I think that the, the 1975 basement tapes uh, set that Robbie Robertson put together, that was the first time I, I'd heard of this song. But, um, you know, it, and you, you bring up the Mighty Quinn. That's another one I'd put in the silly category. Cause oh, I, yeah, yeah. I love that line, that ain't my cup of meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just well, OK. All right. Whatever. I don't know. No idea what's going on here. I mean, this song, uh, you well, you mentioned cover a cover of the song and we'll talk about that in one second. But this song has never been performed live. Uh, Bob, this is just I mean, there I don't think there have been that many basement tape songs that have been re- played live. Uh, but this is one that uh, was put on the basement tapes and then basically forgotten about. He's never done it. Right. Um, and cover-wise, this is a rarity. And I feel weird about saying such things on a show called Pod Dylan. But the, there is a cover of this song by the Roches, which appeared on the uh, the album A Nod to Bob, which I think came out in 2004. And I actually prefer their version of it to Bob's. I like Bob's version. But the harmonies that the Roches have on their version of it, and we'll play a little bit of it at the end of the show, uh, to me is 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 like butter. It is so fun to listen to. And then they put these little hmm in the middle of the verses. And to me, they achieve the kind of blissed out stoned vibe that uh, I think uh, clearly the Basement Tapes were going after. But I feel like they really nail it. And there's something about the way they – the the, the the, the tone that they achieve in in their version that really made my ears perk up when I listened to it on the on the when I bought that record and so I like this song just fine of Bob's but the Roche's one I actually prefer to Bob's there's something about it that to me is just achieves the perfection of Clothesline Saga and bless them for picking an obscure song to cover you know I mean everybody goes after Blowing in the Wind but they pick Clothesline Saga good on them I agree and uh, although in their their relative merits on the the scale of stoned I get more of a contact high from Bob's version than I do from theirs because they're singing so well they couldn't possibly be high. They are they they do a very nice job on that song. In fact, to me, they really bring out the musicality of the song. They, it's really well performed. Their voices are beautiful, and it's also very sly. Uh, there's it's it. it 
it obviously is much more polished than the Bob Dylan version. Uh, there's another version that was on an album that Garth Hudson put out that was performed by uh, the Cowboy Junkies. I didn't care for that one much at all. Uh, hmm. And I did look around for other covers, and it's just, you know, guys like my neighbor Phil, you know, posting of <laughs> himself doing uh, Clothesline Saga, and it's just uh, not worthy. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but uh, it, it's kind of funny. You, you don't read much about this song with good reason. There's not much to it. But to me, when I think about the basement tapes, this is the kind of thing I think about is, oh, God, I wish I'd been there. That would have been so much fun. They sound like they're just, you know, highest kites and uh, and having a great time. So I, I like that. Uh, I noticed that almost all the, the critics always uh, bring up the, the whole vice president's gone mad thing. I was just uh, about to ask you about that. Yeah. And, and obviously, uh, you know, Bob's from Minnesota and the vice president then was the former senator from Minnesota. Hubert Humphrey. And um, uh, I don't know if he was really making that much of a comment about Hubert Humphrey. I've, I have been thinking about that line a lot uh, since November 2016. Uh, the vice president's gone mad. Um, it just seems more appropriate now than than ever before. Mm -hmm. But with uh, with Hubert Humphrey, of course, he had been a great uh, liberal champion, the first to introduce a civil rights plank to a, a major party's uh, convention platform in 1948. And then by 1964, when he was put on the, the ticket with, with Lyndon Johnson, he appeared, I mean, he, he tried to stop uh, the Mississippi Freedom Party from being recognized at that convention. So in the name of political expediency or advancing his political career or whatever, uh, he seemed to have betrayed, uh, you know, everything that he had stood for. So he probably had been a hero to uh, people from Minnesota and uh, was no longer a hero. And of course, the next year, uh, when he got the party's nomination for president, uh, he sort of presided over, he looked out of his hotel window and saw all the rioters in, uh, at the Democratic National Convention being beaten nearly to death by the police, and he said nothing. But um, it made me think about another uh, guy followed and, and written about a lot, uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, who said this about the, the Hubert Humphrey, uh, who may be the vice president going mad. And this is during the political campaign for the campaign for president in 1972. Hubert Humphrey is a treacherous, gutless old ward healer who should be put in a goddamn bottle and sent out with a Japanese current. So um, that was how he felt about Hubert Humphrey. And another <laughs> case, uh, Hunter Thompson said Humphrey should be castrated so his, his kind can no longer reproduce. So uh, I, <laughs> really mincing uh, words there. Oh, yeah. I think uh, I think Humphrey got off easy with with uh, Bob Dylan um, just saying he's gone mad. Oh, that's too bad. You know, let's move on. I don't know that there's really a lot of it just may be that that's he wanted to say something there. And the phrase vice president. I, I mean, I just don't ascribe any great meaning to that. But it is kind of a, you know, a funny thing to think about. Was he really thinking about Hubert Humphrey? Yeah, I don't know. Obsessed with the laundry. But yeah, I, I always took it as just that he was trying to, in the song, this, I mean, like, who who in, in, in the country is the furthest away from these people? Well, the president, probably, in terms of their station, their power, their fame. 
Uh, and then he probably throws in the word vice just because he needs an extra syllable. Right. You know, the, 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 the president's gone. I mean, you could have sang. He said with a grin, the president's gone mad. Where downtown when last night? But, I mean, the vice president just gives that extra syllable. And, you know, we for those of us who, who are, don't, aren't songwriters and don't know these things, I'm certainly not. I, I've never done anything like this. Uh, you'd be shocked about how many times some of the most important things in songs – uh, come down to syllables. Uh, right. You know, I mean, not to get off too far off track, but I remember I saw an interview with Paul Simon where he talked about Mrs. Robinson and he mentioned Joe DiMaggio. And uh, Paul Simon was buddies with uh, Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle was his uh, his favorite Yankee player growing up, and apparently they had been friends. And Mickey Mantle, like, sort of good in a in a in a nice way, in a friendly way, sort of cornered Paul Simon and said, "Well, why didn't you mention me? Why why did you mention Joe DiMaggio, not me? I, I you I was the one you grew up on." And he goes, "Syllables, Mick, syllables." Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle. He says it just doesn't work, and so it could be in this case. He just Bob just needed an extra. You know, an extra syllable. So vice president, just as good as president. And that might be all the meaning we can ascribe to to such a such a uh, verse. But it does stick out yeah. uh, when it, you hear it. You're just like, what? OK, what? 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 We're talking about the vice president all of a sudden. Maybe it's the vice president of the bank. You don't know. I mean, I get the impression that the narrator of the song is supposed to be kind of an imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> And, and he's and he's found the, the right family. They're all kind of imbeciles. But, uh, you know, again, I don't I don't really think this is, is a direct connection to Ode to Billy Joe. No, I always no, no. like that song. I liked her voice. I like the drama of it. Uh, but I don't I don't see this as an answer because it doesn't address anything in that song. And I don't really <laughs> see it as a parody. I think he just thought I'm going to write a song about a lunchtime conversation. In fact, I'm going to write about laundry and just. Like, I, supposedly John Lennon was so paranoid about fourth time around because he thought Dylan was making fun of Norwegian. Oh, right, right, right. And, you know, I don't know what inspired that song. And he does kind of like go on a little too long in some of the lines. But, you know, what he ended up doing wasn't just a, a one-off parody or an answer. It was a, you know, I've derived an awful lot of pleasure from fourth time around over the years. I think it's beautiful. Me too. Yeah. And yeah, so the same thing with, with Clothesline Saga. It, that was the, just the starting off point. You know, that was what, what made him decide that it was like a math problem. You know, I'm going to, how do I write a song about a lunchtime conversation? And this is what I'll do. But it was such a creative period. And, you know, thinking about the, uh, the new basement tapes that came out a few years ago, he left, left behind a couple more uh, trunks of lyrics that uh, he hadn't done anything with. Uh, you know, the, 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 to me, he's just a phenomenal artist. You look at all the work he's produced, both serious and silly. Yeah. He said he has talked about that. It was, the, the, as he said, the most ideal way to make a record where you're just hanging around with your friends. There's a dog sleeping on the floor and you're just in a living room and everybody's having a good time. And you can hear it. You know, you can hear it in this. You can hear it in this song. You can hear it in the other songs. And, yeah, I mean, you, as you mentioned, I mean, some of the songs are pretty heavy, uh, whether it's I Shall Be Released or uh, maybe even I'm Not There or Sign on the Cross. If you want to talk about some of the bootleg material, which Sign on the Cross, an amazing song that is still uh, kind of, you know, not really all that known considering, uh, sort of how big it is. And yet, 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 you know, he had time for something silly like this. And that's, uh, that's great. It's great that he could change it up and change gears. I said, this is, it's a fun little song. I'm glad that it got a second life kind of as a, as a cover. I know you said you didn't like the Cowboy Junkies version, but I kind of want to hunt that down now. Cause I, I like the Cowboy Junkies and I've liked some of their covers of other songs. So now I'm kind of curious as to what that sounds like. It's not bad. It's just, the tone just seems wrong to me. I like Cowboy Junkies too. 
too. I think some of the songs they've done are, are just absolutely beautiful. And, and like I said, I think that's on a Garth Hudson album. But what was funny in that Robbie Robertson interview was he said the band set this all up in big pink and then Bob saw it and then he started coming over. And you kind of get the impression from this interview, like, OK, all right, enough. Stop. <laughs> they wanted to get their stuff together. They wanted to make some demos, but then they realized, well, we are on his payroll and he's taking care of us. So, OK, uh, he's in the driveway again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, he's got his guitar. And, you know, uh, Garth Hudson would talk about him uh, performing on the typewriter in the living room of Big Pink and then bringing the lyrics down to the basement. I mean, what a what a great, uh, great time that was creatively for uh, for Dylan and the band. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Amazing stuff. So, well, uh, I think that's going to do it for a Clothesline Saga. William, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for reaching out. I really appreciate it. I've said on many, many shows, I love it when I get to hear from new new Bob fans, people that I've never talked to before. And I especially appreciate you talking about an kind of an obscure one like this and something from the Basement Tapes, which, considering how large it looms in Dylan's history, has been woefully under undercovered uh, on this show so far. So I'm glad we could finally get around to doing another Basement Tape song. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internets? Uh, my my website is William McKean, all one word. My last name is M-C-K-E-E-N.com. And uh, I challenge people to now start talking about the Basement Tapes on this show. All right, cool. Yeah, you heard that, everybody. Start start to, when you write into me and you talk about wanting to be on the show. Start mentioning more basement tape songs because there's there's a lot of them to get to. Uh, well, that's awesome. We're going to have that link in the show notes, of course. Uh, if you want to find back episodes of this show, go to the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. And we're always talking Bob over on Twitter, which is at uh, pod underscore Dylan. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye. After a while, we took in the clothes. Nobody said very much. Just some old wild shirts and a couple pairs of pants, which nobody really wanted to touch. Mama came in and picked up a book, and Papa asked her what it was. Someone else asked, what do you care? Papa said, well, just because. And he started to take back the clothes, hang them on the line. It was January the 30th. Everybody was feeling fine. The next day, Everybody got up, seen if the clothes were dry. The dogs were barking, a neighbor passed. Mama, of course, she said hi. Have you heard the news? He said with a grin, the vice president's gone mad. Where? Downtown. When? Last night. Too bad. Well, there's nothing we can do about it, said the neighbor. Just something we're gonna have to forget. Yes, I guess so, said Ma. Then she asked me if the clothes were still wet. I reached up to touch my shirt. 
And the neighbor said, are those clothes yours? I said, some of them, not all of them. He said, you always have right around here with the chores. I said, sometimes, not all the time. And then my neighbor, he blew his nose just as Papa yelled outside. Mama wants you to come on back in the house and bring them clothes. Did it, of course. I went back in the house and Mama met me 